You're listening to KSUA Radio 91.5 FM Fairbanks. My name is Kevin. And my name is Dylan. And we are back for another episode on the 26th of November, 2021. So I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving and is enjoying the end of November. The um, first part of the holidays, you know, is enjoying that early holiday break. Uh it's, uh, it's always a fun time of year. And yeah, we're, you know, we're officially in the holidays, which is exciting. And so Kevin and I have decided to, in a way, celebrate, um, celebrate our newfound holiday status uh, by doing another film review. But this time of, of, of a film that uh, was selected as much just because it's topical, but also a really good movie, as you know, it necessarily having any uh, direct, although I, th- I think it does have indirect uh, connections, but maybe less explicit direct connections to anthropology than some of the uh, films that we have talked about previously. Uh, isn't that right, Kevin? Indeed. Speaking of anthropology, by the way, which I will say an award-winning show, uh, talks about anything, has great interviews, and then sometimes we'll just chit-chat. But today we bring you a movie review um which i think i i will preface this and i think i watched this movie just because it was on a streaming service and i'm really interested in um like it was very epic it seems like a really really epic sci-fi movie that you you need to watch or you should watch because it's filmed really really well but then dylan of course has uh, a bit more of an expertise i think in um within the field of Dune and the sci-fi world with the book that he's holding in his hands. Uh, and uh, so, you know, what we're just going to chat about it. I think today, at least still in a few things that we could talk about too, is like kind of uh, maybe allusions to like history that we can think of, or maybe topics like of, uh, and, and from an anthropological lens, like the people and the hierarchies and Maybe the fight for resources and the differences between people and leading to war, which is, you know, and again, another allusion to a lot of history, historical figures and thoughts and, and facts. But I think, um, yeah, it's, it's this is going to be a great conversation. And uh, yeah, from my end, happy Thanksgiving to you all as well. Hope you've had a great holiday. Um, it is Friday. So, you know, end of the week, enjoy the, the weekend and uh, yeah, back to work on Monday, I guess, um, <laughs> to everyone. And uh, a happy nearly December. We're, we're, we're approaching that time of year where it's, it's the end of the year. We've made it through another year, everyone. Congrats. Well, well, well we still got one month to go now. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Although, yeah, odds are, odds are looking good that we will make it uh, through to the end. I think, I think everybody will. But yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna talk about Dune today, which is, uh, it's. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've talked about um, a director's work twice on the show because we previously talked about Villeneuve's uh, Arrival, right? Um, we talked about that this past, I want to say May or maybe June, um, but earlier this year, uh, early summertime, we talked about Arrival, right? Which is Villeneuve's. 
2016 science fiction epic about first contact between uh, humans and aliens. And so, you know, uh, once again, we are we're going to talk about it. Yeah, Villeneuve science fiction film. But as, as Kevin said, this one is Dune, right, which is the uh, an adaptation of uh, Frank Herbert's 1965 novel, which, yes, Kevin, I do have that right next to me. Can do a little bit of Foley work into the <laughs> microphone, type that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I guess just to start off with, sketch a little bit of a thumbnail description, right, is it is set very far into the future um, by the imperial calendar. We are talking um, somewhere... I think 10,000 years, right? Uh, your 10,000 dish of the imperial calendar, um, which itself seems to have, you know, be several thousand years ahead of our calendar, right? So we are, you know, maybe 15 or 20,000 years into the future with this particular story. Uh, but yeah, it is set in a galactic, I don't want to say maybe quite galactic spanning, but a, a empire that spans many, many star systems, but that is ruled as a decentralized sort of feudal monarchy with an empire at the head, but several great houses, right? Um, including House Atreides, which is, uh, you know, the principal house of the story and, and uh, where the main character, he is the heir to the, to, uh, you know, the throne basically of House Atreides. And his father is assigned to rule Arrakis as a fief, um, and Arrakis is the desert planet uh, where this all-important spice, the spice melange, comes from that basically is the only way that people can actually travel faster than light through space. And this is the only planet that that spice is found. And so basically you control this planet, you are just printing money, right? Buckets and buckets of money. And also it gives you quite a lot of power. Uh, so the book and the movie right as anybody who has seen the movie and this will you know we are going to be spoiling the movie obviously so if you haven't uh watched the movie you know this uh come back to this episode you know but uh yeah it <laughs> there's a lot of intrigue in this one uh a lot a lot of complicated intrigue a lot of political maneuverings um the, you know that makes sense uh if you understand you know, feudalism or, you know, like those sorts of complicated uh, vassal subject relationships that aren't very common, you know, in the modern world, as you were saying earlier about like the uh, historical parallels, right? Like, <laughs> you know, a political structure like this um, doesn't really exist in the present day, right? Uh, you know, with uh, an empire led by uh, in Dune, it is the Padishah Emperor. So I believe it's the Padishah Emperor Shaddam Karino IV uh, leads the empire, right? But then rules through these great houses who basically have their own decentralized authority and stuff, right? Which is, yeah, very, very different, reminiscent more of um, uh, like the Holy Roman Empire, right? For folks who are familiar with the history of Central Europe, uh, which was, you know, led by a titular elected emperor, but was there is a vast amount of autonomy for each of the individual princes and, and sorts of figures in the empire, right? It's a similar sort of setup. Uh, so it's definitely, you know, a, an interesting one, um, contrasting maybe with other science fiction films, 
you know, where the empire is, is maybe more of a strong centralized state, but this is definitely a different sort of thing. But yeah, that's that's in the broad strokes, right? The sort of uh, setting of Dune and specifically on this planet Arrakis, right? With the, with the spice. So yeah, I'm curious, uh, just, you know, Kevin, what you thought of like um, how Arrakis was portrayed and, and uh, you know, it's sort of maybe start out with like the visual elements of the story and stuff, right? Arrakis and um, the uh, Atreides homeworld of Caladan, right? This ocean world contrasting with the desert and, you know, these sorts of things, you know, because it's a very visually evocative film. So just curious uh, as to what your thoughts were about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Dylan, I, I <laughs> 10 out of 10 uh, review right there and overview because that was spot on. I, I think, yeah, um, it's, it's interesting to me to look at, I think, the separation of landscapes, right? You see, as you mentioned, um, you know, the desert or the coastal waters of, of, of different planets um, and this, the distinctness between the two. Um, there was definitely a deliberate action by the filmmaker and the producers to kind of change the color schematic of each as well, right? Um, which gives a sense of where they are and how it is. Um, the desert is very much an unknown, right? The center of this film and story and book as well, Dune, right? Um, whereas, you know, that coastal town is a home coastal vibe uh, that's very, you know, cozy, but definitely still rugged and, and difficult to, to get across. But um, yeah, I, I found at least to me, like the standout points and things that stuck in my mind, um, having not read the book and just watched for, for entertainment's sake was, um, you know, the, the, the spice portion to me was really, really interesting. Um, I recall from the film, at least um, the separation of, you know, you're saying there's um, people who use uh, the spot that the, the our, our people of Arrakis um, use the spice in a medicinal purpose, right, for their own healing, whereas people from everywhere else in the world use the spice for um, intergalactic travel. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but uh, interspatial travel at, at a really fast speed, right? Um, you know, I remember there's like this um, in the film, Dylan, maybe you can correct me on or please define what it is, but it's the circular tube that spaceships would fly through and then essentially arrive on the planet. And I assume that's the vessel that that um, allows the spice to, 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 to work, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So what that is... Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're very close, yes. Is so that the very... God, I really enjoyed the visual design of this movie quite a bit. Like, uh, some of the designs are very reminiscent of Arrival, right? Um and like the one you're talking about, that circular ship, right? That is what is called a highliner. And so those are the largest of the uh, spaceships in Dune. And yes, the, the, so there is what is called um, the uh, Interstellar uh, Guild, I believe is the name. But basically this, this guild, it's the only one that is allowed to, to, to run the, uh, faster than light travel and so they run these highliners and so all the great houses and even the emperor the Padusha emperor himself would have to purchase space on these highliners for their craft to then transport them from world to world right and so that is how they get 
from Caladan to Arrakis, right? And so it, again, right, there's this the construction of these this um, universe that is one <laughs> of of uh, many different spots of power, right? Again, you have the emperor, right? Who is you know he also has the emperor has his specific army, which is the Sardaukar troops, right? Um, but you have the emperor. And then you have the guild that runs interstellar travel. You have the great houses like House Atreides um, and their rivals, House Harkonnen, right? Um, that, you know, have their own fiefs and stuff. And then, you know, you have <laughs> the other big one probably would be the uh, Bene Gesserit, right? Which are, well, in a way, they're sort of space witches, right? Um uh so yeah these different sources of power which handle their own responsibilities in the empire but are of course like jockeying for position with each other but yeah yeah as you said right the different usages of spice the spice right with the fremen um and using it for religious rituals and for healing and stuff right and so this results in the fremen because of constant spice exposure having these entirely uh deep blue eyes they call the eyes of abad right um versus you know the way that the empire uses it right which is to allow for interstellar uh travel so yeah it is <laughs> it is a a very interesting uh very interesting portrayal this one substance that has uh you know usages for for both the locals of of arrakis and for this empire that has shown up to you know manage it and to extract it for its own value yeah it, it was an interesting way of of, of the, the dichotomy and of like perspectives right uh, the the people uh of arrakis are you know the the indigenous people right and then you have the um uh i, I forgot oh, the names are so long um uh, uh the people of the house of Trades. there we go uh they are the ones who are like coming uh per the emperor's decree to right to kind of manage essentially to rule over you know the spice and um i i still remember that scene and it it seemed like it was a scene out of like um a news report or like a breaking news report right um you have uh the house of trades uh leader um the the the, the thief uh ruler um you know flying in on his ship and um him and his son have like a you know really bonding experience right before that scene i remember and they're talking and then they go out on this like space spaceship um and they like fly over and they see this um massive like machine it's kind of mining for spice and you know it's it's that that split i think it was interesting to me to see these massive machines and this itty bitty amounts of spice that are on the surface of dune and then suddenly an earth warm or the warm comes and eats the whole machine in one big bite right you know or like swallows it i guess whole and um it kind of essentially reminded me a lot of i mean of course the same the film directors um, but there's similarities to rival right this very like um brutalist design you know the highliner is beautiful in the sky but then you have these like really like rugged you know um designs and then you know the when the aliens and arrival arrive right the same exact thing um right it's very simple you know square shaped spaceship that is, has like gravity working in different 
forms and then there's like the blank wall right is reminiscent of some art pieces that we've talked about in previous episodes of speaking of anthropology and uh it's 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 directly i think very interesting to to see the design of that and um anyway so back to that note about this them flying in and then seeing um i'm essentially spoiling that scene but you know i'm sure you've people have watched it and will watch it um you know you they fly in and uh, the worms coming right and so they say oh we're not going to abandon the the vessel we're just going to keep mining spice to the very end but then the mechanics fail and so they're trying to rescue the people and it just seems so realistic to you know and, and dramatic of course it was very much an action scene um but you know wh- what is the value of spice that it's not even the amount for a human worker right um you know, these questions about labor are brought up in this, this you know, movie um, and, and in the book, I, I assume as well. Um, but the interactions um, and then the the, the, the swiftness of, of that, it, it kind of makes me wonder a little bit about, I think, um, how could they have filmed it differently? Um, if this vessel wasn't a massive one with, you know, the warm, you know, was different. Um, if you know spice was not as valuable, what would be the situation? Um, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about variables that would change the progression and, and knowledge of that. Um, and yeah, I I, I love also. There's that character who's kind of the intermediary. Intermediary. Um, I think she's like a, kind of like a local um, consultant essentially, or a local tr- interpreter of the land and of the people um i forgot her name but uh she she's there to kind of guide them and tell them about what's going on and how spice mining works um and all the the whole entire time you know the the house of trades folks are like doubting her saying oh she's here to sabotage them and so this is back and forth because it's a hard situation to be in but um yeah anyway sorry I, as i monologue but I, I think it's interesting to see that Inter- that I, I, to me as an anthropologist that is the closest that i've seen to an anthropologist in that movie correct me if i'm wrong Dylan. no i mean to an extent right you are correct dr kynes is the character um and she is the imperial uh ecologist and is basically in charge of um how they refer to her is she's like <laughs> judge of the change She's the one who is, who is um, basically uh, verifying because so the way that um, House Atreides gets Arrakis is this that the uh, Padishah Emperor Shaddam Corino IV says, okay, um, House Harkonnen, who has been running Arrakis for the past, I think, 80 years, um, he's like, he revokes uh, the fief from House Harkonnen and gives it to Atreides and Atreides and Harkonnen are pre-existing rivals, right? They've been, you know, it's it's implied in the movie and touched on a little more in the book that they have been, you know, going at it for a long time, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, part of the, that, because there's this changeover then and who owns, who is, you know, responsible for Arrakis then in the name of the Imperium, right? Uh, Dr. Kynes, the Imperial Ecologist, who is... Um, you know, a Fremen, uh, it seems, uh, whether that's, you know, whether she was 
born Fremen or adopted is, I guess, somewhat ambiguous, um, you know. But uh, yeah, she certainly is Fremen. And, uh, you know, she's in charge of maintaining, verifying basically the changeover has has gone according to like the uh, legal framework, however much that exists of the Imperium, right? Um, and yeah, no, and she is in a way... Uh, yeah, like it's sort of anthropologist, right? And that she is um, knowledgeable about Fremen customs and is, you know, in some scenes trying to impart them upon Paula Trades, the main, you know, character, right? And, um, you know, trying to <laughs> to help uh, ensure that uh, Paul and his mother, Lady Jessica, can sort of... Uh, navigate and make their way into into the Fremen world as they're trying to uh flee uh you know after things start to go south and uh you know the capital of Iraq is Arakeen that the uh, where Trady sets up their stronghold uh yeah so <laughs> despite you know formally being described in the movie as an ecologist I can certainly see your point is that yes she is in a, in a way you know the uh the closest thing to the anthropological character although i will say that the way that um you know paul is is portrayed is definitely one of someone who is willing to uh keep an open mind and to adopt local customs and to to integrate fairly quickly right um so that is one of the things is that you do see a couple characters paul um as well as duncan idaho who is dispatched uh, you know, to to Arrakis ahead of the rest of House Atreides to to try and negotiate with the Fremen. He also seems to, um, you know, to be able to integrate with them, or at least you know, learn their customs and to to engage with the Fremen, um, you know, on their ground in a pretty rapid manner. So you do see some of these characters who who are able to do that, who are able to step outside their own frameworks right and to say you know what if what if it's supposed to just like fighting a perpetual war against the people who live on this planet what if like you know we bothered to learn about them and started to try and like communicate with them right um you know and so there's certainly something to be said about like the the power positioning that the, that comes from right and the sort of imperial role there but none of that actually makes it um radically different from anthropology especially in anthropology's roots right of being to an extent an imperial project right so uh, yeah no there are definitely some some comparisons that you can draw there uh for sure for sure i can i can easily see what you're uh, uh putting down there kevin it's good observation thank you very much um you've been listening to speaking of anthropology here on ksua 91.5 f in fairbanks uh, speaking of apology, talking about Dune. Um, speaking of Dune, might as well play some Dune music. Uh, we've done that in a previous episode, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, we're here to bring it back. So without further ado, some Dune soundtrack music that's just gets you into your Friday afternoon experience of what Dune is here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. Thank you. 
This is Speaking Anthropology here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, as Kevin said before the break, some more Dune music. I did play a couple songs of the show after um, the first show that we did after I watched the movie because I really liked it. It's uh, another Hans Zimmer soundtrack, right? So, you know, it's a uh, <laughs> man knows what he's doing, right? He's a very well regarded, um, you know, composer, especially for movies and stuff. And uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dispute that. You know, I, I liked it. I, I don't know if the, you know, the Dune soundtrack is like his magnum opus, but uh, I think it, I think it works well for the movie, and I think it's pretty good. I totally agree. Um, epic music. That's all we need. So. Um, as we talk a little bit more about Dune, um, maybe just like some reflections on your end, Dylan, of, of um, like, you know, what what uh, what stood out to you about, you know, the the, the movie itself? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. I mean, kind of why, like I opened with asking you about the visual stuff, right, is, you know, because I do <laughs> I did really, really enjoy um, the visuals quite a bit. Right. Like I thought it was just a really fun movie to watch in that respect but um i another thing that i did enjoy is uh one of the things i talked about earlier too is like the political machinations and intrigue stuff like i enjoy you know um a good interesting story like i do enjoy reading about history and stuff and like you know the holy roman empire is one of my uh you know favorite interesting subjects and that had all kinds of interesting machinations going on so to get to see a similar sort of thing but you know in space right with big old spaceships and you know uh exotic locales and these sorts of things is really fun but um i guess the other thing that really stands out and maybe above the rest although i guess that kind of depends on the mood i'm in at any given moment is is that the there's also definitely these um very interesting like um expressions uh in thoughts uh you know originally from herbert and stuff and the way you know that religion and um you know folk beliefs and these sorts of things is portrayed and is used in dune right um you know so there's it gets explored a lot more in the book obviously because it's more length to it and again this is only you know this is uh, this movie adapted the first part of the film right so you know there will be a part two and um, look forward to see what gets into that but you know like um something that herbert does cover a decent amount right is is the uh religious aspects of dune and stuff right and so like you know there is something called the orange catholic bible right which is basically like the foundational religious text you know for for the imperium and stuff um you know and then of course one of the really important things um, to the story as a whole uh, that we see a little bit in the first part um, is the uh, Fremen religious beliefs about, you know, the, the Mahdi that's coming, right? The Muad'Dib who will, you know, uh, <laughs> basically save the Fremen people, right? And, uh, you know, expel the outsiders and and do these sorts of things so the like the coming of the Mahdi which is you know is implied that this has been basically um these ideas have been perpetuated and spread by the Bene Gesserit the order that I mentioned earlier and stuff right but how these religious beliefs and customs are um 
arise, but then can be also used to manipulate by other people to further these sorts of political intrigues or to to benefit oneself or, you know, even just <laughs> to try and survive, right, is, is very interesting. And I think um, comes out in interesting ways in the film adaptation of, of Dune for sure. And so I really enjoyed that. And I'm very curious, you know, to see where it goes. And the second part, right, you know, and to to kind of cover <laughs> the ground that they hint at with, uh, you know, the flash forwards and stuff, right? The Paul's premonitions and stuff um, that he has about, you know, the way that the future events are going to play out for him. So we get to see just a little bit of that, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the religious, um, religious side of things, political, religious, political, cultural sides of things, I really all enjoyed getting to see that in the movie. Uh, quite a bit yeah and i think it makes very interesting viewing for people who are you know uh interested in that sort of stuff uh even in in you know fiction not just you know learning about it in the real world which is obviously quite fun but then then to see like okay so what is you know why is it the orange catholic bible what do they believe right so you know the fremen right are like their beliefs are derived from um zen sunniism right and so it's like okay so we had these sorts of um you know syncretic religions religious beliefs that are quite diverse that are changing over time sometimes because they're being manipulated and sometimes just because you know and so yeah all that uh all that i think makes for a very very interesting uh science fiction narrative for sure for sure i don't know kevin i stood out to you i don't know did what do you think of, of, of uh, you know, the portrayal, those sorts of things and these higher sorts of religious and political concepts and stuff? Yeah, I, I think it was, um, maybe we can talk about also the costume design too. That's, that's another component I think that is very deliberate in def defining and, and showing who is who. You know, looking at kind of, the, the houses, um, the hierarchy between the emperor and then the different peoples. Uh, you know, the, 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 I think there are a lot of um, direct correlations that we can see to, to our world <laughs> in, in this fan fantasy world that has been uh, displayed in front of us, right? Um, I, I personally was really intrigued by, you know, the people of Arrakis uh, the Fremen, right? Um, I think you just mentioned too, but like, I think the, the coolest, there's one scene um, where the son of, uh, you know, of the house of Atreides um, is like watching some of the, or listening in a, in a, in a podcast slash movie form, you know, what the people, the, the people of Arrakis, the Fremen, how do they interact on their world? Right. And you know how to avoid the worm so you're not eaten up by it and and you know like for example the walking in the sand right um you know how you walk in an irregular fashion because if you walk in a a pattern you know the worm will be able to track you um or the suits that they wear because the temperature there rises way way far beyond human uh, capacity right so they have these suits that um you know uh you know, uh, take your sweat and cool down the body while it's a, it's like a constant cycle. And then, um, you know, you're able to take the sweat and then drink the sweat, right. Cause water is extremely important. Um, I remember scenes where, 
they're talking i think right the there's a there's a kind of dual scene in in the film and uh there's conversations about you know the worth of uh, you know a human person is based on how much water they have and rather than you know the value and that's that's what's interesting right the people the fremen the people of arrakis care more about water and surviving than spice and to other people they come there with their glories and say spice is the number one thing right um you know how there's another part right of you know uh, disobeying this emperor is a big no-no, which I, I, I can see why, right? Um, and then, you know, rebelling, and then, you know, um, they talk also about, I think, uh, the son of Atreides um, becoming the next, uh, th there's a name for him, I think, um, but he's like a prophet, essentially. He, he's following this prophecy. Um, That's the Mahdi, yeah. yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, and, and, you know, that direction. So, you know, he's uh, this coming of age person who's gonna have the powers, the capacity, the 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 strength to to carry the people through, right? Um, and uh, it's it's interesting. I think you know there is gonna be a Dune too, right? I think it's nearly confirmed. And you know, um, I remember talking to one of my my housemates about this, and she was like, "Yeah, I saw I read all of Dune and." this movie covers nearly the first 200 pages of the book or something like that. And it doesn't even finish the first book. It's just like an introduction to the introduction of what Dune is. It's two layers within of an introduction. Right. And so um, it does introduce it quite well. Right. And I remember talking to some friends as well and they're like, yeah, there's that bull and scene. And what does the bull have the symbolizes? Right. Uh, what does certain colors have to symbolize the, you know, there's Easter eggs and, and not all that. And, I, and then I started getting lost and I said, it's Dune, you know, it's, it's cool costumes set in a sci-fi fantasy world. You know, what more can you expect in one, right? Uh, a fan following of sci-fi followers to come. Right. And so, yeah, well, I which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I can't answer the bowl question for you. If you're that curious, Kevin, um, I'd be fine to do that. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> in the book, what they mention um, pretty early on, like I, I, I think I said at the beginning, but I'm only about 100 pages into the book. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, I'm not even through the territory covered by the movie. But again, the movie also does not cover the whole book because the book is about 600 pages long. Right. So <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm glad that Villanueva felt confident enough to be able to break this up, you know, into to a couple of parts and to give it you know the time and energy that i think it deserves right um but yeah so the thing with the bowl is is that the the so uh for folks who watched the film and you remember that it was the uh, bull's head that was hanging uh you know in a prominent place in the castle on caladan and is then brought to arakeen right and so in the book what this is said is is that that is the bowl that gored um the previous duke uh, so the grandfather of the main character, Paul Atreides, and uh, it, that's what gored his grandfather to death. Um, so <laughs> that is how uh, Paul's father inherited the throne is when his dad, who had a penchant for, I guess, bullfighting, um, got gored to death by that. So then it's become preserved as like this family heirloom. And I guess, I don't know, like in remembrance of like how not to be, I guess, <laughs> like... Uh, you know, because it's it, in the book, it's kind of touched on a little briefly that like the way that um, 
Duke Leto conducts himself and stuff is is uh, more serious, you know, more duty oriented than than um, maybe the way that his father did and stuff, right? So it's as much like a you know, this is <laughs> my father liked to mess around a lot. He you know fought bulls too many times and he got gored to death by one. And this is not what I want to do. So yeah, you know, but as you said, there's a lot of a lot of uh, little little things and stuff in that for sure. On the um, you know costume design and, and sorts of things, and maybe go back a little bit to the spaceship design as well. I'm curious um, how much you uh, picked up on to like the subtle differences in the way that like House Harkonnen ships are designed versus the way that uh, House Atreides ships are and stuff, and uh, what you thought about that at all. Yeah, a great one. I, I, immediately, I'll jump in because, again, cool because it's a sci-fi movie and I can watch and and experience the. Tr- yeah, it's it's amazing. Anyways, um, House of Trades they had these like dragonfly spaceships, right? The ornithopters. Yeah, there we go. Dylan's like coming in with the the actual answers, and then I believe the the Sarkonins had like um. Like uh, like a similar vessel as well, but um, I remember you know like there's like maybe this is a horrible thing for me to say, but like the dramatic like Star Wars esque landing of the ships, right, and then opening up and then walking out, right, you know the the trapezoidal, um, uh, you know you know opening of the gates and formal uniforms and war and and um and then okay you know the other part is like these ships are all designed um similarly um and i i guess i'm curious about what the material is because they have these like this is something that i think we we haven't talked about either they have these like force fields that are like a like like slow down projectiles or hits which is like incredible to me which is another layer upon of like immortality essentially right what if you had it on forever you would be protected forever could you essentially live forever and be immortal because time anyways i i'm just like my mind is like thinking a lot um as a as a current young alaska fellow working in an entrepreneurial standpoint man this could change the world you know um it's a force field right um anyways so that's my, my my tangent there but yeah, no, the, the ships are, are, are interesting. Um, the Highliner, I think, was was definitely the most unique one, uniquely designed to me. And then the city of uh, in on Arrakis, right? Um, I think it was great. I, I think maybe for those who are reading the, the text as well, to see um, the, the 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 urban planning and the design of kind of um, the city. I right, you know, very. It, they're using like sand or concrete built structures that, um, you know, resemble very much like a pyramid, um, but, you know, they're flattened out on top as well. Um, you know, the, the beauty of the geom- geometry is, is really, really well done. It's within the city. There's a force field around the city, right? I think that adds to it. Um, yeah. Anyways, that was my tangent there, Dylan. Uh, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> or add yeah. into it as well yeah, well so. you, you always do that i love that your mind goes to immortality with the force fields despite the fact that we also see they have vulnerabilities right like 
Um, but yeah, no, it is. That is an interesting part of that. And so one of the things that has to do with like the cultural and technological implications of where humanity is at by this point is because they have uh, the shields, right? They're then the all the combat is basically mostly sword based and stuff right and in the book they explain that is because obviously they have laser guns but when you fire a laser gun at a shield that it creates a explosion that is uh very hard to predict based on like the size of like the shield and the energy of the shield and the laser um and so it's all bad news bears when that happens so <laughs> they've they've you know become a, a basically a whole spacefaring society of people who stab each other with swords in space uh which makes for you know fascinating visuals and a, a very fun story but yeah it is it is interesting but then of course there are the workarounds of these weapons that can slowly you know penetrate a shield right uh so they can get in and then you know kill you or whatever uh paralyze you do you know all the bad things that you don't want to happen to you. And that's why you're wearing a shield in the first place. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just once again, right. Like um, getting to see just these hints of like, you know, okay, why are we all fighting with swords? Well, because, you know, we've invented shields. And it's like, okay, so we are, you know, how many steps down the line that this is. So that like our assumptions about like, you know, why are you doing combat close up like that? And it's like, well, you know, because this is this and we're, you know for many for many years down the line and many years in our society and i think both the book and the movie does a good job of showing it that's like you know yeah we're just we are <laughs> in the future right and like we are many many steps into this whole long iterative process so that is something that i do enjoy quite a bit out of it uh for sure yeah uh, yeah so let's let's pull it back real quick and i'll ask you my final question as we, we wrap up our review today um, maybe as a, a formal review, and this is speaking of anthropology, so if we don't give numerical uh, values of ratings, maybe. Uh, I don't know what we do here on the show exactly, but I know for a fact that this movie was interesting. It was provocative. Um, it was visually appealing. Um, and it struck a lot of curiosities, like the immortality question that just, you know, um, came out of nowhere but you know is a part of it um so i guess to me i think it was a very unique film and i'd give it a, a good a good understand a good watch you know give it a look um and be open-minded um and then of course read the text i think that helps a lot as well so anyways dylan book, over to you yeah yeah and the book is just the book is fun the movie's fun uh you know we could i mean how many anthropologies out of anthropology would you give it kevin like uh <laughs> just invent Ooh. our own completely arbitrary the speaking of anthropology rating out of speaking of anthropologies well i think it's quite speaking of anthropology and that's what i would say <laughs> i think it is about a 58 because this is episode 58 so yeah perfect uh, <laughs> that's a wrap that's a wrap i mean to dune right cheers to dune, dune. um to all of our listeners thanks for tuning in today uh, this is speaking of anthropology on ksua 91.5 fm fairbanks it's a beautiful friday afternoon enjoy it um and enjoy the weekend uh, thanks for tuning in uh, as always you can find our show website uh speaking of anthropology online uh and you our episodes are there as well dylan am i missing anything or any final notes on dune before we sign off here today 
It's a fun time. It's a fun time. That's it. Have a good it's weekend, a everybody. Time. Thanks.